Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Culture Moments Podcast. I'm your host, Larry Baker, and I am thrilled to have you join us for our second season called Brave Conversations with LCW. In these episodes, you'll hear from a panel of guests from specific communities, offering a range of perspectives on the past two years. We'll hear about their own experiences, as well as their insights on what has changed, and more importantly, what needs to change to move equity forward. As we all know, so much has shifted and changed over the past two years, and for many of us, we're still in recovery from a very difficult 24 months. On today's episode of the Cultural Moments Podcast, we'll be discussing what it means to be an ally for people of Asian and Pacific Islander descent. During 2021, anti-Asian hate crimes increased 339% across the United States. And remote Pacific countries and small islands face disproportionately high unemployment rates with limited access to production. So what can these events teach us about being better allies And what can we do to authentically support this community? To help us with this conversation, I'm joined by Pagina Lynn Roberts, who is an executive coach, DEO, and cultural change consultant at Reap and Leap Coaching and Consulting, and intercultural consultant, Jessica Shao, who will share their lived experiences as members of the Asian and Pacific Islander uh, community. Welcome to the podcast today. So what I want to do is to quickly allow both of you to give a brief introduction to who you are and exactly what you do. So Pagina, if you could start. Thank you, Larry. And so Uh, As Lara mentioned, I'm an executive coach and a diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, consultant working with organizations to enable their uh, culture change. Diversity, equity, inclusion, or DEI, is also simultaneously about culture, right? Um, How would I introduce myself? I'm a cisgender woman of Taiwanese descent who grew up in Guatemala and Costa Rica um, culturally. At some point in time, I was more Tika, which is how you refer to Costa Ricans, right? Um, probably more Tika than Taiwanese culturally, uh, but never quite Chapina. Chapina are the Guatemalans. Um, I'm also a mother, uh, in a, a wife in a mixed race marriage. And my parents both lived in families that, who, that at some point experienced poverty of some form. So my dad didn't wear shoes to go to school. He would save his shoes so they wouldn't get worn off and he'll put them on at school. My mom at some point in time during her early adulthood uh, had to work multiple jobs uh, to make ends meet right, uh, with the family. And I'm the first in my family to get a PhD, to marry outside of our race mm. and to be an executive coach and a DEI consultant. So it's like, you know, I think, I think there's something about my sister who became a doctor you know, maybe yeah. I should have been something of those expected <laughs> roles. But, yeah. um, and what else? Just, I think to know me, my belief system matters. And I truly believe that we can create a better world if we can embrace difference, uh, challenge our assumptions, our blind spots, and lead with heart and curiosity rather than judgment and, yeah. and be willing to be open to evolving how we think, like being this constant uh, willingness to develop ourselves, right? Um, And uh, yeah, let's see. I think I will leave space for Jessica to introduce herself. I think there's much more that I can share about, you know. (laughs) No, um, that's great. Thank you. That's great, Pagina. That's great. Thank you so much. Jessica. How about you? Give us an introduction and tell us who you are and what you do. Yes, it's hard to follow Pagina's introduction. <laughs> that was so robust and very, very fascinating. Um, my name is Jessica Shao. I moved to the U.S. with my family from rural China when I was at the age of close to 10, and we moved to San Francisco. 
and um, I am the, what they considered a one and a half generation Chinese American because I wasn't mm-hmm. born in the U.S. Um, so I have quite a bit of connection still with the Chinese culture in in China, and uh, more than a typical uh, Chinese American who is born here. Okay. Um, and so my background, I've done some work in intercultural communication. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what I do, <laughs> Larry. <laughs> my interest is in intercultural communications, and I've done some training with uh, business managers who um, uh, are relocating overseas to China or um, uh, Chinese managers coming to the U.S. to to talk to to these managers about um, uh, the different cultures and work cultures. Um, my training is in international development, so I've lived in uh, uh, low-income countries and developing countries around the world and working on poverty alleviation issues um, in different communities and mostly with indigenous communities um, in parts of South America and in China, in rural China. Um, and I've worked mostly in the U.S. Um, in the world of philanthropy, so uh, funding nonprofit organizations in the U.S. and sometimes overseas to work on issues around social um, justice. Um, so personally, I'm a mother of two young uh, toddlers, um, and I um, am in a, I would say, considered intercultural marriage, although not interracial. My husband is um, Taiwanese-American who grew up in the immersed, being immersed in the Taiwanese culture, and I um, am from the southern part of China um, in the Can- Canton region or, or Guangdong region, so I grew up being immersed in the Cantonese culture. So we often have cultural clashes, even though we're in the same race. Um, And I'm really excited to be here, Larry. I'm really looking forward to the conversation that we'll be having to learning from you and and from Pagina. I think um, it would, it's, it's great that you guys are doing this and I'm privileged to be part of this conversation. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining. And Jessica, FYI, when you're married, you tend to have cultural clashes, even if it's <laughs> the same culture. Just don't, just as an FYI, I just want to share that with you. So I'm going to start with you, Jessica, and and mm-hmm. and I want you to think about the past two years or past two years or so. Yeah. What have been some of your most uh, notable events impacting your daily lived experience? Yeah. So there's. There's two that stands to mind. Um, one is the um, Atlanta shooting of um, uh, uh, women of Asian descent who worked mm-hmm. in uh, massage parlors um, yeah. in Atlanta. And I think that was March in 2021. And that was earth shattering to me personally, because as an Asian woman who goes to these massage parlors to get massages, I knew who these women are. Mm-hmm. I know, I, I know. I, I can picture who they are and um, I, I get choked up even speaking about it. Um, mm-hmm. When I read the news, I, I couldn't bear to read more in the details because it's yeah. so personally, it's shaking me because that could have been me. I could have mm-hmm. been one of those who just happened to be in the massage parlor and then got shot or that could have been mm-hmm. my mother. Yeah. Um, so that was something that's something that's still shaking me today as we speak. Um, mm-hmm. And it's affecting me. Daily, and well, I think it's more internal um, in, in the ways that it's affecting me, internalizing what it means to be Asian woman in the U.S. And some of the stereotypes that I've long learned about in terms of stereotyping women to be submissive, to be mm-hmm. more um, sexually uh, permis- uh, promiscuous mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> as a stereotype. And I know that we've seen these in Hollywood movies back in the days. Yes. And to, to for me to for this to happen in 2021, which is who whoever can do the math, how many hundred years since 1860? <laughs> um, right. it's it's earth shattering. It's a couple of hundred years, and I feel like we've made so much progress as an Asian um, um, American community at large in terms of facing really covert um, discrimination. But yet a lot mm-hmm. of this is still bubbling inside our psyche, in the American psyche, and it's becoming more overt to me. Um, yeah. so, so that part, um, uh, being able to process that is very hard, Larry. Yeah. Um, and it's still affecting me today. Um, um, so a, a lot of this is psychological. And, and another 
another event and a couple of events, series of them, as you've heard in the media, there's um, uh, uh, harassments and abuse of um, elderly Chinese men and Chinese ladies and, um, and men in the Chinatown community in San Francisco and in Oakland, um, which mm -hmm. is the Bay Area where I live. Um, and that's near and dear to my heart to see that these 80-year-old uh, elders who, uh, who are well-respected in our, in our culture, we elders are definitely um, uh, people that we look up to and we, we care about and, and yeah. to see them to just get beat up by randomly in the street in broad daylight, mm -hmm. um, that is pretty shaking. And um, I know that people in my community, in the Chinese community in the Bay Area, some people are afraid to go out to the streets. We mm. see this in the media so much. Um, we, we are afraid about uh, our grandparents going out to the streets. Um, right. And for me personally, my grandparents passed away before the pandemic. So I don't personally worry about them. But when I do hear of these incidents, I do think about grandparents of my friends or, or in my community. Yeah. Um, so these are two incidents that really stands out to me. And how does it affect me and my lived experiences as I reflect on that? Um, in the beginning of the pandemic, I was really, truly, um, my husband and I were afraid to identify ourselves as Chinese ethnicity oh, wow. in the public if we go mm -hmm. grocery shopping. We, we don't even want, I, don't, I didn't even feel comfortable going out to do grocery shopping mm -hmm. um, outside of the pandemic uh, and the scariness of that. Um, but just even in, in that if it was safe to go, to go I didn't feel safe um, mm -hmm. to, to openly identify myself as being a Chinese woman. Um, because we would hear stories of people in in nearby community where I live, where people and or um, Asian people would be would get spit on the face um, mm. in broad daylight. Um, so things like I I would not feel comfortable decorating my house during mm -hmm. Chinese New Year. I because I don't want to be targeted as a Chinese family um, with mm. any hate crimes or potential hate crimes. Right. Um, and still today I don't feel comfortable doing that. Um, yeah. Identifying myself um, yeah. being Chinese uh, to the broad public. Um, right. So, so yeah, so those are the experiences that, that affects me daily. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Jessica, I mean, so many of the things that you mentioned just really echo and resonate with a lot of the, you know, civil unrest that's been going on more focused since 2020 but in the reality just like you mentioned it's been going on way before that right you mentioned 1860 i can refer back to 1619 yeah so those similar uh you know experiences still resonate today in 2022 so thank you so much for that so pagina you're up tell me yeah. a couple of things you know that that have been the most impactful for you over, you know, if you want to go back past two years, that's totally fine. But just just talk to me about some of those notable experiences. Mm -hmm. So definitely the um, COVID-19 and being a, a disease that people just directly associated with Chinese. Mm. And therefore, because, you know, all Asians look alike. <laughs> than to all Asians, regardless of right. what race or what nationality you are, right? And um, because, so I recall, well, and, and personally, I was at the time serving at a board that did not have um, enough, not, nobody had knowledge in March 2020 about what the pandemic uh, would do, right? Um, and so I had to... Um, uh, because my sister is a doctor in Taiwan and had uh, had to deal firsthand with the swine flu. Um, mm. You know, she was warning us ahead of time. Oh, in Taiwan, people are already closing borders, X, Y, and Z. Be careful. I heard there's a case in Washington. And so we were extremely careful. Um, but being a person, an Asian person, a Taiwanese person, and trying to warn people, play my fiduciary duty and warn the board that we shouldn't hold a uh, public event wasn't so well received 
right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> and so just imagine. personally, like the credibility that I had was like, no, right? I don't know that that's necessarily associated with me being um, Taiwanese or Asian, but there was something about, you know, being the face uh, of that people associate with the disease. Like, what are exactly. people, right? That, what, yeah. what are people going to think of that? In addition, yeah. in those times, um, uh, wearing a mask is something that's quite common in Taiwan, right? People go out in the streets, they wear masks even when there's no pandemic because mm-hmm. of pollution. Because yeah. of like respect to, yeah, I don't know, if, you, if you're sick, you kind of want to protect others and, and a lot of people wear it because of pollution. Um, but I live in Seattle and at the time we didn't know that, you know, outdoors is less transmissible, whatever. We just thought, okay, let's protect ourselves and we wear a mask and we would get people staring at us because it wasn't common yet, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. There was also an incident where uh, I could... Um, sense that people had like slowed down their car in order to do something i don't know but i'm very aware of that do something you know to the to to the fact of or maybe throwing something at me or or that kind of thing but you mm-hmm. know i was very aware i turned around and you know changed my you know they slowed down and then they moved on and since then i basically during the, the early times of the pandemic mm, did not want to go out and walk alone I had to ask my husband to um, yeah. come along with me, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and so that's one of the incidents. Uh, I think the pandemic still continues. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, related to that, just like as Jessica was sharing, is the hate crimes against API, right? Um, I think it was in January of this year that a woman was pushed into the New York subway mm-hmm. and died straight there. At the time I had a contract with an organization in the East Coast, um, collaborating with other diversity equity inclusion practitioners mm-hmm. on offering kind of organization-wide um, culture change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it might have required me to travel to New York. Yeah. And so for the first time, I was like, hey, maybe I need to go take some martial arts. <laughs> like, I looked up what's the most effective martial <laughs> arts because I'm thinking if someone pushes you from behind, you won't know, right? But so yeah. because you, that, that thought of like, oh, this could be something that can happen to me. And, and I had regretted in the past when I had the um, option of choosing between yoga and martial arts. <laughs> I had chosen <laughs> yoga. <laughs> there you go. Like, oh, there you go. But um, and so these are things that um, personally have affected me because, you know, being a diversity, equity, inclusion space, particularly, uh, you know, I'm aware what makes makes us humans treat others as someone that we can exclude. It's when we don't see people as um, being equal, when we see people as being a threat. Um, yeah. And yet there I was. I am the threat. So like that just felt viscerally uh, stronger than any sort of, you know, exclusion or um, racism that I experienced growing up, which is different. It's not, it's like a mild exclusion because you're not Mm -hmm. one of us versus, hey, you are the virus. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Wow. Regina, that, that, that just really resonates with so many times where, you know, I will walk into a a building or into a store and just automatically have people look at me differently because I'm, you know, I'm a pretty big guy. And when people see me, big black guy, late at night, even if it's the most innocent trip, like going to the grocery store, right? Who does not go to the grocery store? But if it's late at night or even in the, you know, even in certain situations, mid evening that you go into this store, you can like literally feel the atmosphere shift. Mm -hmm. And it's almost as if what happened? Like I'm looking around thinking, you know, am I in danger? But in reality, they're looking at me. 
because they feel like they're in danger. So that that whole phenomenon of having an entire environment change just because of your presence, that mm. really resonates with me as part of my experience um, just, just walking around uh, in this space. So I, I definitely appreciate both of your insights in regards to that. So let's let's move from your experiences and maybe you can share with us some ways that you've noticed how these events and some other major events over the past couple of years have been impacting other people of Asian or Pacific Islander descent. So uh, Pejina, if you could start and then Jessica, we're going to kind of rotate it that way. Sure thing. So I'll share some things that I observed that really, really hit core. Okay. So I live in Seattle. And then one time uh, I was walking in downtown Seattle and I saw a rally with like lots of Chinese characters and, um, and people that, uh, an older generation and you know you can see the gray the the white hair the gray hair and so like um yeah a generation above me and i just assumed this was like a stop asian hate type of thing mm -hmm. then when i looked closer to the characters because i do read chinese characters and there's all there was also english i was my jaw dropped the floor because what this was about was um taiwanese americans or non-chinese asians doing a rally to clarify that the virus did not come from them, that they are not the Chinese that the virus came from, that they're the good Chinese and that the uh, virus came from the other, yeah. the Chinese yeah. from mainland China. Yeah. And that hit core because, hey, isn't that what racism does to us? Yes. Racism is a system mm -hmm. of where there is one group at the highest of the hierarchy, one group at the lower hierarchy, and then those who are in between will do whatever they can so that they're not at the lower hierarchy. Absolutely. So this is, and and it, what the racism and oppression, structures of oppression does then, mm -hmm. it pits people who are marginalized, who are not the highest privilege against each other because they're doing, they're like, if they're not aware about the impact that they're having on each other, they're going to be fighting against each other to climb up the ladder of, of privilege, right? And I had, I mean, I know that because I do these trainings and yet I hadn't seen it personally mm -hmm. in the Taiwanese Americans and the Chinese Americans. It was right there in my face, right? Yeah. So that, um, that just really, again, and it changed back to then what really motivated me to clarify it for me that mm -hmm. I could not just be doing work about, um, that I could not just be continuing to solidify my commitment to work in solidarity um, against anti-Blackness, right? Yeah. That I also needed to simultaneously be uh, in spaces to both create safe spaces for API folks, yeah. but also... Mm -hmm. Know that in the API kind of um, folks that are experiencing this, that we needed to elevate more what's what that we're all part of, um, all swimming in the same waters, of yes. if you will. So you, what you're describing to me is, Pagina, something very similar to, I think it was a book, Crabs in a Barrel, right? You know how crabs act when somebody gets the opportunity to get out and they don't really get out because another crab is bringing them down. That whole dynamic that you were talking about, how certain groups in the AAPI were saying, yeah, we're not those people, right? Mm -hmm. So don't judge us because they're not us, right? And I think that that is so unique within your community because for ever, it seems like they use the AAPI community against other minority groups and saying that this was the model minority group and that see how they were able to come over here and they were able to accomplish all these things. Why can't you 
black people or Hispanics or, you know, whatever group, why can't you be more like Asian Americans? And, and, and it's that rift that you're talking about that we're all swimming in the same ocean as people of color, that that unity is something that we tend to overlook because we're so caught up in saying we're not like them. So don't look at us like that. And it even happens within our own culture. So that whole subculture within AAPI, that exists within the Black culture, that exists within the Hispanic culture. So I, it, it definitely resonates with me. So thank you so yeah. much for may, sharing. May I just may I add something as well? Because you brought up something yes. that... Um, so what I also seen good things happen, though. So one of the communities that I join is called the... Um, what's it called asian or black asian alliance network yes okay and these are started by individuals who are mixed race individuals mm -hmm. uh -huh. and who themselves are in this constant <laughs> yes. tension amongst themselves because like this yes. community and you as we all know there's uh historically the black and Asian community have been pit against each other because of the same yep. phenomenon you that you were describing right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and they know that the work starts with them if they have the mixed race within them. And Absolutely. so I just wanted to also elevate the solidarity and the work that it's happening yes. um, at the same time that other things are like. Absolutely. As if we that. don't have enough going on, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jessica, I'm going to give you opportunity to hop in here. Yeah, Tell me, I, talk, I, you know, yeah, expand it. You talked about <laughs> it personally. I want you, if you can, give me a little bit of expansion mm. on others and how these yeah. events may have impacted. I mean, honestly, I've been a, a mom <laughs> as my biggest identity in the past few years. So I haven't been out and about in the community and taking leadership roles in the community. So what I know is really just based on word of mouth and what I see uh -huh. in okay. the Chinese media. And what I see, um, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and... As I mentioned earlier, there are hate crimes um, and uh, against the the uh, Asian American community, spe specifically targeting Chinese people in Chinatown, um, sometimes, and 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 unfortunately, I do hear stories of this um, tension between the Black and the Chinese community exacerbated through the pandemic because you know pandemic has caused a lot of economic woes on many communities and black communities bear a lot of it as well and and so people in my community see a lot of uh, violence um perpetrated by the black community and that's that exacerbated this this um uh this myth of you know of um the stereotype of black people within the Chinese community mm -hmm. um, and this is something that that for me I've I tried to reconcile with and try to find a way for me to um, a space for me to know what to do and how how do I create this al allyship and how do, how do we go and explore um, in the two different communities and 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 converge um, yeah or 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 even just have a deeper understanding mm -hmm. um and so in in san francisco where my family lives it's very closely connect, connected with the black community with public housing mm -hmm. um and so there's a lot of incidents where these two communities collide and yeah. and and unfortunately it's also um where where um the chinese community in in the in san francisco also see see shootings or see um robberies mm -hmm. um and it's it just it just um reinforces what they hear in the media in front of their right. eyes so it's so easy for for people especially in the pandemic where we don't go anywhere and all we get is what News. what you hear from the media mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so this fear is is growing mm -hmm. um and and the tension i feel like it's it's it, it feels like it's forever there yeah um, and yeah and it goes back like we said earlier it was like almost it was like by design right yeah. to pit these two groups against one another right to yeah. to 
make them natural uh, adversaries, if you will, to make make it make it that much more challenging to engage in conversations with each culture. Because I know from my perspective, uh, from being a part of the Black community, that a lot of the concerns focuses around economics. Mm-hmm. And here's what I mean by that, is that you can go into, I would say, 90% of Black or African-American communities, and you will find some type of AAPI business in those communities. Mm-hmm. Flip that around, and I would dare to say, if you find 10% of Black or African-American businesses in the AAPI community. So I think at, at, at some level that the economic reciprocity Ooh. is a conversation that could be um, influencing these negative feelings. And when you are part of an oppressed community and they keep telling you that this culture is the model minority, mm-hmm. you need to be like them. And when we make the effort to do those things in those communities, it's not reciprocated, right? So mm-hmm. it's like we have that opening in our communities, but the economic opportunities aren't reciprocated in the AAPI community. And that, again, we said this at the beginning, None of us are a monolith. None of us, we are not monoliths. We do not speak on behalf of the millions of uh, individuals in the AAPI community. And I do not speak on behalf of the millions of Blacks in our community. But these are some of the conversations that, from my experience, that I hear that if we start to have conversations about economic reciprocity, I think that that will begin to uh have people at least come to the table to address the greater concerns now that's again that is larry baker's words not you know please don't say what larry said <laughs> no, no 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 that was just my interpretation from my experience right and and it goes right along to what you were saying earlier so um but yes great conversation because that 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 rift, if you will, has it, it it appears that it's always been there, that they really made that focused, concentrated effort to pit the AAPI community against the black community, mm-hmm. uh, really to fight civil rights. I really feel like that that was at the heart of the matter. It says, well, why do black people need civil rights when uh, the AAPI community, they've come over and They've been able to be successful without civil rights. And fundamentally, that's just not the facts, right? Mm-hmm. So, but that's, again, Larry's take. Please don't take that to the bank and say, well, this is what Larry said, right? Yeah. So I think another thing that it's more not not as tangible that I see in rising in, in my community here and there that I see is just the rising fear. Um, yeah, that's not not just fear of getting coronavirus, but fear of being who you are and fear of going out to the public. Um, yeah. And I see that across um, not just in my family, but in, in, in people that I know I hear and in the community. And um, I feel like that's the biggest virus that we have to battle against yes. is the fear. And how do we make it? So that we know it's um, it's fabricated. <laughs> it's yes. um, it's designed. It's intentional. Yes. That, that um, fear is a tool. Um, for it absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yes. For certain people, for certain groups to remain power over another. Um, yes. So, so I think I'm maybe I'm jumping on to <laughs> to to like what we want to do. And so I feel like as part of this work in 
bringing diversity and inclusion into the table and making it very, very, um, a very, uh, a daily life. Uh, it's not just a one, one off, um, event that you would talk right. about or one off conversation, yes. but how do we do this and how do we address, how do we address this virus of fear? Yes. Um, I think that's physical, both physical and, um, and internal and, and psychological. So yes. as, as someone who is advocating for um, inclusivity, mm-hmm. I think I would like to figure out how to do that and how yeah. to, how to address this, um, this, this, this powerful tool of fear. Yes. And yeah. when it comes to racial justice. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's a great point. And Jessica, like you said, you were, leading me into that next question. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad that you went there and I, I, I just want to shape it because you started to touch on uh, what does authentic allyship look like as opposed to performative uh, allyship or what do people of Asian and Pacific Islander descent need most to feel supported? Mm. So I think about this question and I think about this fact that Chinese American has been around since 1860 and now we're in 2022 and we're still grappling with these issues mm-hmm. and how deep rooted um, and how pervasive um, these stereotypes uh, uh, roots from the ground and how long it lasts. Yeah. And, and, and the and also the 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 risk and the 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 um, how should I say this the harmfulness of a, a single story about any mm-hmm. any people any any race any any culture yes um, and so for me personally as I reflect on these issues and thinking about what can we do to reverse this pervasiveness to slowly to to establish these understandings across different cultures and communities. And I think it's really leaning in as an individual to hear the stories of others who are different from you. So learning about my my neighbor who might be who have a di- completely different set of backgrounds and who they are. And so for me, it, it's not so much from um, a macro level, yes, from organization level or from a nation what uh, design mm-hmm. policies, but even as individuals, we can affects so much change from our own acts and, and, and from individual acts of just leaning into um, if you have uh, uh, in your orbits of uh, people of Asian descent, um, simple access to just learning about who they are. Um, how do you say your name? Yes. <laughs> what does your name mean if there is a meaning? And it's something that, that seems very mundanely simple, um, but it's when I hear that, I feel like I belong. Larry, when I hear that, when I hear it from you, who wants to learn how to pronounce my name, I feel like, oh, wow, he cares. Yes. And that's the strongest form of allyship is showing that you care, even though you don't receive the same experiences and you don't have the same lived experiences, but you you have empathy. Yes. And so, so, so I think that's, that for me, that's the most, most authentic um, allyship one can have. Um, with the Asian community. Thank you so much for that, Jessica. Hey, Gina, hop in there. I know you have some insight about, you know, okay, let's be authentic. Let's not be performative because we all have our months, right? Everybody wants to (laughs) advertise during our months and put up their banners during our months. But to me, that's purely uh, performative. That to me, that's all about capitalism. So, Pagina, talk to me. What what does it look like, in your opinion, that it would move from that and it would be viewed as authentic? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm all 100% there with Jessica on what she's saying. And our previous conversation brought, highlighted something for me, which is that in order for us to realize how these hist- roots in our historical uh, systems of oppression have created intergenerational impact mm. and continue to do so. Yes. I think one very important aspect is for us to um, learn about history. Hopefully mm-hmm. with the hopes that 
by learning through history, we can be more aware about how we're caught in the same patterns, right? And yes. like you can't, you need to you learn from history, not just to learn like facts, but it's like, hey, what, what is the impact? The other thing is to um, be aware of how our, our own identities and our own, because I have an identity as a cisgender woman, Asian, uh, and I, that creates uh, privileges and, and marginalization in specific ways, right? Yes. Um, so how does that then shape my lenses of the world, right? Um, that shapes my biases and blind spots yep. of the world, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to borrow from um, a very esteemed colleague who uses this, uh, his name is uh, Terrence Harewood, and uses this example of, a, hey, most of us have had an experience of killing a bug, Right. right. When we kill a bug, what makes us think it's okay to kill a bug? Right. And then he goes to well, and people start like, so it's like fear. We think they're a threat. We think they're not, they do not deserve to live. They're a pest, whatever. And so if we um, use that same sort of fear and threat towards others, like have the sense of towards others, then imagine what's the way we're going to behave towards that other. Right. Wow. Same. We treat them like a bug. Right. Wow. Um, so instead, I think what, what's really important for authentic allyship is to truly be able to see someone as, as a human that needs, that deserves to be cared for just for being, not for mm -hmm. what they bring to the table. Right. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that requires a little extra effort because mm -hmm. I know for, for one, that I'm a little less friendly with my neighbors than my husband is. And mm -hmm. part of it is the shield that I've like built over time. We're like, well, if I'm ignored, I'm not going to try this time. And so it creates, it's this like cyclical effect, right? Like, because right. here's the deal. We go to the, we go and meet people. And then my, my husband is British. So then people get really interested. Oh, where's your accent from? And blah, 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 blah. And then do they ever ask me? <laughs> no. Right. Like I'm just there. And I say, like, oh, yeah, great. And where are you from? And then I start talking and then they're like, not interested anymore, right? right. So it's, it's uh, that creates a show. So I guess with that story, what I'm trying to say, it's like, yes, you want to treat someone as a human being, hold them as being, but sometimes maybe it takes a little extra effort. And yet, I'm not giving a simple answer. For those, we have to consider people at different stages of development. Yes. I think of you were treating me when I was younger, when all I wanted to do was belong and be seen as not different. And you did extra with me. You're like, what are you doing? You're making me stand out. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. So it's having a little, I think, patience, knowing yeah. that this is um, people of Asian Pacific Islander descent. Each one of us is going to be in our own journey of how we fit in this world. Yeah. Same as anyone yeah. else. And so it's how to, um, Leave with curiosity, as I was saying, with respect, mm -hmm. checking in our own biases, um, yeah. and being okay that, hey, maybe English is actually our most fluent language right now, even if I have an accent at times, even if I have to mix other languages and don't know all my um, vocabulary in English, it is still so far my most fluent language, right? So it's just mm -hmm. accepting the, the, what is it, the paradox of mm. dissonance that exists yeah. in us right yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and yeah i don't know it's, it's humanity mm -hmm. okay yeah i love that and you know what you 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 bring me into because you you're talking about so many concepts uh pagina that in this space of de and i we talk about Right. We talk about bias. We talk about culture. We talk about meeting people where they are. We talk about humility. We talk about humanity. We talk about all of these different things as practitioners. So with that lens, if you had to, because again, it's enormous, right? You were, you were pointing out that, boy, oh boy, there are so many uh, rabbit holes that we can go down when we have these conversations. But if you had one ask for DEI practitioners and the companies who 
really want to promote allyship and support people of Asian and Pacific Islander descent, what would that be? What would be your one ask? Pajina, I'll ask you to start. And then Jessica, you can think of yours because uh, I'm going to ask you the same question. So Pajina, you first. What What's that one ask? If you had that magic wand, here's what I want it to be. Mm -hmm. That is such a good and difficult question to answer because that one ask, right? Um, I think it relates to something I just mentioned earlier, but it's, it's being able to re release expectations and mm. assumptions about someone's category, identity, or yes. whatnot, right? Yeah. I mean, That's good. <laughs> a simple example is, is me, right? Often people, um, if I... If I started speaking in Spanish, you wouldn't know I'm Asian, except for now I'm a little more broken, right? But right. this has literally happened to me, right? Um, it, it, uh, and so it's like, not just the social identity of like what language you speak or what is your cultural identity, not just that, but also um, the being able to hold the kind of dissonance or paradox that, hey, this person may be in, in this many ways, very Asian, quote unquote Asian, because they're humble. They are, um, you know, they don't want to, they don't necessarily stand out or like lead in certain ways. Mm -hmm. And yet in many others, they're going to be direct and mm -hmm. demand for what they need. And mm -hmm. then don't use the double bind to then say, Hey, you are uh, not, uh, not a culture fit, not a good culture fit. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Good job, right? Um, yeah. It's like being able to hold that within one individual, they can have multidimensional characteristics mm -hmm. that don't fit pre-existing social boxes. Yeah. Okay? Or all the different levels of intersectionality, right? Yeah. Because you're never really just one thing, right? It's just mm -hmm. like you said, you, you could be in one instance, you can be... Uh, Asian uh, business executive, but in the next moment, you're a wife, you're a mother, you're 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 a volunteer or what have you. So all of those intersectionality points have to be considered, right? And we have to put down all of those um, preconceived notions or stereotypes and biases that we have towards individuals, and we want them to fit in this nice little box. And when they go outside of that box, it's like, whoa, what'd you do that for, right? This is what I thought you were going to be, and you're totally not that. Okay, so thank you so much, Regina. Okay, Jessica, one yeah, ask. Yeah, that, like that was Christmas. very good. Yeah. One ask. Um, my ask would be to be able to somehow increase our tolerance for dissonance. Um, how how can you and I create space for these diverging opinions and mm -hmm. um, worldviews can come together and actually speak to each other, not yeah. in, a, in any accusatory or not in any hierarchical ways, but mm -hmm. how can we create the space for people of um, varying backgrounds, um, varying beliefs yeah. um, to just talk to each other? other even though we know that i believe in something that's very different than what you believe in yeah um and i i think for me it's something that's so so important for our country um for the environment that political environment that we live in right now yeah and and um for me as an individual and and for me as a mother as i think about raising the next generation of women um mm -hmm. in america um how can I how can I give this superpower to my daughters so that yeah. they learn to listen to those yeah. who don't want who don't believe the same things that they do? Right. Um, so, so yeah, I think that's it's one ask, but it's also multiple ask to 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 yes. be able to do that and to have the listening skills and to have that opening mind um, to be able to lean into to hear other people's stories. Yeah. Um, and Jessica, yeah. you talk about a concept that I often refer to as, you know, we have to give each other grace, right? We we have to understand that 
everyone has a different experience, right? And we want to make room for those experiences. And then when we have differences in our experiences, we have to be willing to engage in that conversation without the judgment, right? Without the yeah. criticism, without the without the negativity, because yeah. that is actually fighting a tendency that we've almost been ingrained to have this negative view towards other people or other cultures' experiences. Right. And ultimately, what's at the root of that is, in my opinion, again, is that people profit from us having these uh, mm-hmm. conflicts, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's easier to pit this group against that group. And they realize that, well, if those groups ever came together, yikes, that could be really powerful. That could mm-hmm. be revolutionary. That could be uh, the the evolution of, you know, us moving to this society that hopefully was supposed to happen when America was founded, right? Mm-hmm. But when we start putting all those things aside and start saying, hey, look, let's start to build on all of our experiences in such a way that we're bridging coming together and and creating space for everyone to have those individual's experiences, but we bridge them and merge them in such a way that we see the best in each other. And I think that that's, that's that ultimate level of conversation that we need to get to. So thank you both. For coming on today, this was amazing. Jessica, I know that I've worked with you in the past, but Gina, I think it was an incredible opportunity to meet with you and to to discuss with you. I'd like to give you both the opportunity because if someone heard something throughout this podcast and they're like, wow, I'd really like to hear more about that, how can they reach out to you to uh, make contact? So Jessica, if you could... Uh, talk about your preferred method. And then, Pagina, I'll give you an opportunity to do that as well. Yeah, I'm wide open to the public via LinkedIn. (laughs) 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 So if you have any, if you want to carry the conversation, and I love to speak with you and and hear from people. Same here. I'm also on LinkedIn. And, you know, I welcome people to connect or message me there as well. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Thank you both so much for this incredibly important topic. And I just love to have conversations where I can see those connections in regards to how it reflects an experience that I have in this country as well. So thank you both for your time. uh, And and for those of you that have joined us, hopefully there was something that you can take from this and then begin to apply in your journey of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank Thank you. You are welcome. And to all of you that are listening, we want to know, what were your biggest takeaways from this conversation? Please share them with us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn at Language and Culture Worldwide or LCW. 